Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports and media and marketing, and we do that with all kinds of interesting executives and entrepreneurs and investors and athletes and students, and of course, with Joe Favorito. Who's none John. of the above, as a matter of fact. Oh, Thank come you, on. Don't Good. undersell yourself. Um, apology, apologies in advance. I'm in the middle of a cold, and Joe's at the I'm beginning cold, of a cold. So but our guest today doesn't have a cold, as far as I can tell. But we're going to sneeze all over yeah. Maurice. Yeah. Our we're all 12 inches from each other. Yeah. So, uh, microphone. Joe, really excited to have Jeff here, who, by the way, um, I'll introduce him in a second, but he's also good friends of the Columbia program. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but we've talked a lot in this podcast and in our classes about the disruption in marketing. One of the required books in my class is Growth Hacker Marketing, which talks about kind of the reinvention of of marketing approaches. And we've got a a guest today who's kind of an expert in this area. Um, His name is Jeff Rosenblum, and Jeff is a founding partner of Questus, a digital marketing agency, and he's also a best-selling author. Number one. Number one. Almost as big as the Bible, we understand. (laughs) Um, And an award-winning documentarian Mostly, and, and both his pursuits in, in the uh, areas of film and, and uh, writing uh, actually relate to business, because these are nonfiction, business-oriented initiatives. Uh, so, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I have been wanting to have you for a long time. Ever mm-hmm. since uh, you visited my class a few years ago, it was a huge hit, and then you were nice enough to do that uh, event a year and a half ago or something like that with me? I think, Tom, I don't want to call you out on this, but I think I saw a tear in your eye at the dramatic <laughs> conclusion the Naked Brad. I looked at I was like, I think that dude yeah, cried right. a little yeah, bit. That was a, that was a very memorable event. His palms are getting a little moist right now. Too. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so we have a lot to cover in, in roughly about 45 minutes, but let's start off with the Jeff story briefly so everybody knows how you made it to this uh, it's an interesting place in your career. Oh, man. I mean, I guess if there's one takeaway, if you're in Columbia and you're not doing well and you're on the cusp of maybe not graduating, there is a bright future for you. Because <laughs> I barely, I mean, barely graduated college and it was not a great school at that. And, uh, you know, found myself right place, right time, right idea and helped pioneer the field of Internet research. So. I was just a little zip faced kid. And next thing I know, I had Sun Microsystems, Walt Disney, Levi Strauss, uh, all as my clients because I was one of the first people to figure out how to collect data through the internet. And then what happened is, as with everything I do in life, I got bored really quickly. You can only stare at PowerPoint and spreadsheets so long. Went down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, had a psychedelic experience, came back out and said, to heck with this, man. Instead of collecting the data, I want to do something with the data. And that's when I found my college roommate, who's a creative genius, and we took these two sides together. Me with the data dorkiness and him with the cool creativity. What's nuts is we just had our 19th birthday, and that is still or now more than ever is the number one trend. Can you merge creativity and data? Exactly. And that was the spark. The art and science of, of business and marketing. So we should give him a shout out. That's Jordan Berg you're talking about, correct? Jordan, he's the, uh, okay, the I want to make sure veteran in every way, half of the uh, equation. Yeah, and, and a collaborator with you on some of these projects. Right? He, um, he does his best to keep me out of the loop with collaboration. He's a lot more skilled. So I do the books and movies. Okay. He focuses on the collaboration. i got to back up a second and ask you how you had that where did that impulse come from out of college to think about something like collecting data uh, as it relates to marketing? It's not exactly something that many young people are thinking about. Well, you know what? I, uh, I'm so old. I now officially predate the internet. 
So when he graduated college, welcome to the club. Yeah, totally, right? There's there's no monster.com, there's no LinkedIn. I grabbed the yellow page. I went to M for marketing and I flipped through every day. And I would But you knew you were interested in marketing. I knew I was interested in marketing. I I love marketing, right? And even though I didn't do well in school, I was a marketing major. I was always attracted to it. I was always attracted to advertising. I was always attracted to, to analyzing, does this ad actually work, not just from a aesthetic standpoint, but more importantly, from a financial standpoint, is this growing the brand? Is this selling things? So I just started calling a bunch of companies until finally one would speak to me. They didn't even want to hire me. I was a, I was a cook. I was working until 1 in the morning. Every day, I would wake up at 5 a.m., and they knew my shift was over at one because we had an interview and I would leave them a new note on their door every day. Wow. You should hire me. Here's why. And they did it every single day for two weeks. So finally, the guy was like, dude, you're killing me here. I've got no choice but to give you a three month opportunity. Wow. And I always thought a little bit differently. And it's in within the first three months, uh, I was able to help them look at this Levi Strauss pitch differently because they were doing everything in two dimensions. And I was like, wait, we can make it three dimensional. Usually it comes from a young kid who's 22 years old right. who's gonna think differently. They won Levi Strauss, turned into a full-time job. And then one day he was giving me, I think it was the five, five and a quarter inch floppy. Hey, there's something called the right. internet coming right. around, right? It, was, uh, it wasn't even AOL, it was like Prodigy. Yeah, CompuServe. CompuServe, that's exactly yeah. what it was, yeah. great call. Right. And then one day I was like, dude, if everyone's gonna be connected, on the internet, then everything that I'm now currently doing through the mail and on the phone into the mall is going to disappear quickly. Right, right place, right time, right idea, and mm-hmm. it turned out to be wow. So you and, and you felt like you had enough energy and ambition to actually, with Jordan, start your own thing because that's a big decision when you're young, obviously. Definite, definite on the energy, never a problem. Ambition, yeah. I, Enough, but even the way you got that first opportunity, yeah, showed a lot of doubt. We knew we could do it. I turned to my bosses, who I've learned everything from them. Couple ex uh, Harvard Business School guys, uh, Haldane King, Jacob Brown, two of the greatest guys I've ever met. They were my, our first client, and we knew we had three months. We had three months of revenue, and we have to find another client within three months, or we're going to starve. Right, and that was it. We had it's a good motivation. We we had two desks, one chair, one computer, and a pack of cigarettes. That was it. You can only one person could sit and work at a time if we had to get through that first three months. Wow, that's a great story. Um, so, so talk about the evolution of the digital marketing business because that's now, you just had your 19th yeah. birthday? 19th birthday. Congratulations, man. That's, that's impressive. So obviously, it's a very different environment 2018 than in 1999 when you started this thing. You know, I think right now we're just catching up as an industry to where the folks who started agencies and got into digital 19 years ago, I think just now we're catching up to where we knew it would go, which is it's less about interrupting people and giving them the message over and over and over again. And now it's more about create content, create tools, create experiences that are so powerful. People go out of their way to participate in those Mm -hmm. experiences and then share them with others, right? So there's always been brand evangelists, right? There's always been people who will talk about brands in a bar, in a restaurant, around the dinner table. But now what we're doing is we're digitally enabling them. We're giving them the tools that they can share through social media or CRM or other channels and carry that brand message forward because there's nobody 
nobody in the entire world who loves the category of advertising, right? Nobody sits at a football game and is like, man, I want more ads. Every now and then we'll see an ad that we love. Oh, dude, check this out. Let's rewind. That's cool. That's hilarious. But nobody's like, oh, you know what I need right now? All right. Three more minutes at 37 spots. Yep. Right. right. Um, and, and at some point along the way, you were inspired to... Uh, bring some of your thoughts to life in a documentary, which ended up becoming the Naked Brand. So tell us about how that started. Yeah, what we saw was that people have gone through a complete and total revolution in the way that we communicate. And I think the most poignant one is every six and a half minutes, the average person looks at their mobile device. That's average. So the folks around this microphone right now, we probably look at our mobile device on average every four and a half minutes. But if you look at the advertising industry, it's still caught in the Mad Men era, right? Mm -hmm. Smiling pitch person gets on the screen, holds it up, buy some, it's good. Mm -hmm. Here's 30 seconds over and over and over again. Now, digital changed some of that, but all it did was turn TV ad into pre-roll, print ads into banner ads, mm -hmm. junk mail into spam, telemarketers into social marketers. It's still the same strategy, which right. is, can I interrupt you? And there's this whole awesome machine which is fueled by data and technology and educational systems and conferences and awards that keeps it going. But that's not the way we communicate as human beings. Right, right. So we only had one question. What's next? What is going to happen next? And honestly, when we started the documentary, we thought it was going to be a 10-minute video and it was going to be talking about newfangled technologies, right? This is early days of social. Social is going to be powerfully important. Video might be important. What we learned is... It's not about that. It grew from a little video into a full-blown documentary because what we learned is that the advertising industry and corporations in general have the opportunity to make the world a better place because they have to take their infinite amount of resources, literally billions of collective dollars, and put it towards improving people's lives. Because if you think about the brands that you love in this world and the brands that you love in this world, it's not because they're 30 second spots, it's not because they're print ads, it's because they've done something that improves your life. It doesn't mean they're all green companies, they're all gonna save the universe, but they're making your life better. So if all brands start focusing in on less interruptions, more empowerment, now, we can not only build passion brands, we can make a real difference in this world. Right. So, Jeff, one, one brand that you've talked about extensively, both in the Naked brand and in Friction, is Patagonia. Mm -hmm. So, talk about that. Give some like, best you know, examples of what you're talking about in terms of actual executions in the marketplace that we've seen. And also, as a follow-up question, and this, Joe, is an interesting one vis-a-vis -vis a lot of conversations we've had recently. What does that look like in the digital realm? like these that companies want to, can do good. Because right now, as you know, Silicon Valley, Facebook, Google are, are under attack, as in many ways they should be, for kind of the monster they've created in terms of issues in society that are quite problematic. So let's start with the first thing. Let's talk like with the analog brands and then think about how that applies to digital. Yeah, I'll actually invert that. Let's, okay. let's talk about the almost the epilogue of the story. What I found interesting after putting out the book last year is how much the, the finance community has gravitated towards this. And I am really far from a finance guy. And then you see the head of BlackRock the other day saying, look, we are only going to invest in companies that actually make the world a better place. Like you have to improve the world in some foundational way or you don't get our money. BlackRock cares about one thing, same as every other finance company. 
They care about making more money, making more money. But these guys, they get it. They know that there's a system, there's a way to invest dollars. And if you can enrich people, you can empower people, you can improve people's lives, you can improve the world in some way, you're actually going to get better, stronger financial returns because you're going to take X percent of your dollars and put it somewhere into growing your brand. And the old model was really, really good paid advertising. Now we can take a lot of that, not all of it. Paid advertising can still do incredible things, but let's put it towards things that improve people's lives. Now, to answer your question, Patagonia is one of the great companies. We feature them in the documentary, we feature them in the book, and that doesn't make us unique. They get a lot of free press, which is part of the reason why that brand is so great. And they put their dollars into one thing, defending the environment. Because the title of our book is Friction. Let's talk about friction for Patagonia. They're in the outdoor gear and apparel category. If you want to enjoy outdoor gear and apparel, you need a healthy outdoors. And ironically, the creation of that outdoor gear and apparel damages the outdoors because we create garbage with our old gear. They create manufacturing byproducts with their new gear. So what they've done, first in the documentary, we featured something called the Footprint Chronicles, where you can actually go on the site, follow products as they're getting manufactured around the globe. And Patagonia isn't like, look at all these great things we're doing. They actually out themselves for bad behavior. This product is not recyclable. That product damages the environment. This manufacturing facility has these challenges. And what they're doing is they're turning a conflict into a conversation. They're not trying to cover it up. What they're saying is we're trying to improve. We're going to engage you in this conversation. And then that conversation happens. You know, look, if you fly fish, I'm a fly fisherman. These guys are covered in Patagonia gear because they want to talk about these issues. They want to support this brand that defends the one thing that they love, right? But a couple things on this. One, it can never be about one initiative or one campaign. If you just do the Footprint Chronicles, that's fine. But you need a compound effect. And what that means is every single place that Patagonia interacts with its audience they defend the environment. You see, you go in the retail store, there's books about it, there's documentaries about it, there's signs about it. You can read it in the signage that's, that's attached to your actual clothing. You can read about it on your website. I went up on Black Friday, the number one shopping day of the year. Patagonia and lots of brands sell more on Black Friday than in months combined. And they took over their website with this jacket. In my mind's eye, I wanted to buy this blue jacket. I type in www.patagonia.com. The jacket is there waiting for me with a giant font that said, don't buy this jacket. And then it was this whole platform, reduce, reuse, repair, recycle. Number one is, dude, reduce. You wanna buy the jacket, we'll sell it to you. But you're gonna damage the environment with the garbage. We're gonna damage the environment with our byproducts. Maybe you should buy less. I'm Jewish. I felt guilty. I did buy less. They lost thousands of sales, but they gained my loyalty as a customer. They gained my evangelism. And it continues, right? When when uh, when Trump did his whole thing with Bears, it, Bears Ears, like they took over their, their social channels, every single opportunity they have to defend the environment, they do. But final point on this, it's not a green story. That works for Patagonia. That's core to their system. For Yvonne Chouinard and the other folks who started that organization, that's the most important thing. But it can be other things. For Under Armour, it might be about using technology to help athletes perform better. For Fender, it might be about helping people learn how to play guitar better. All of these things are ways of improving people's lives one small step at a time. It's about the platform, not the green story. Right. 
But in reality, Patagonia did not lose you. They lost a short-term sale for a long-term gain. How do you distinguish or help companies distinguish that kind of craziness where they have a board of directors or a stock sitting there saying, you can't do that. So are there companies that can't do this? And if there are companies that do it, who are you talking to now? Who are the ones that we should be watching that, that do do it well and are going to do it better? Yeah, great question. So unless an organization is in dire straits and they're not making their numbers, and I don't mean not making their numbers for Wall Street, like dire straits might go out of business. In that situation, you go lower funnel, you interrupt people, you follow the math model, you make a cash register rate. But it's not going to build a great brand and you're not going to get great long-term results. For any company that's relatively healthy, the thing is this, you have to invest in creating these brand platforms. Advertising is not dead. That false eulogy has been written before. So we're just asking advertising to do too much. And we know that, not as professionals, we know it because we're avoiding ads as much as we can. We watch football, we DVR over. We all love football. We want the NFL to make money, but we don't want to sit there watching all those ads, right? So it's not about saying, let's turn off all of advertising, let's turn off all of paid media. It's about taking a percentage off the top and testing into long-term platforms, which by the way, when you create these platforms, they produce data that makes all of our advertising that much better. Right. Because when people interact with you, you know, not just their demographics, that's easy, who cares? You know their, you know their psychographics, what are they interested in? And you know their behavioral data, which is what are the products they're interested in? So between the psychographics and, and the behavioral data, you're not only talking about doing better targeting with your ads, but you can do better creative. So it all fits into one ecosystem that supports both the short term and the long term. So, and some brands that you're watching now that are going that way, that weren't there before, who are some of the ones that kind of jump out that you've either worked with or are looking to work with? So here's the brand that I love, not from a work perspective, because they get they got all my holiday money and I gave it to them and I was so happy to give it to them. It was great because I had such a great experience. So let me set it up a little bit. I wanted to get my wife a new pair of skis. I live in New York City. There's no place in New York City to get good ski information. So I do what everybody did. I hit YouTube, I hit Google, I hit social media, and there's an infinite amount of research about skis out there. Pretty expensive product. By the time you're done with your skis and boots, you're talking maybe 1200 bucks, right? You're not gonna do this willy-nilly. You're gonna spend some time. Can't get any decent information. It's all very confusing. REI on Black Friday did something called Opt Outside which most of the folks listening have heard mm -hmm. about this. Really, they took that idea, it was the DNA of don't buy this jacket from Patagonia and said, look, on Black Friday, if you're in the outdoor category, if you're part of that audience, you shouldn't be shopping on Black Friday. You should be outside enjoying the great outdoors. Like, dude, we're gonna shut it down. So they shut down their stores, they shut down their website, they created a hashtag, hopped outside, they got 3 million, I checked the other day, like 3 million different people have used the hashtag OptOutside. They created this cultural movement, which is awesome. Who doesn't love REI? So the first company I call is REI, but this story is not going where you think it's gonna go. So the first person I call is REI, OptOutside. I'm a member, I get 10% off and I call and, and I don't have the information. They got a phone number, I'm like great, who doesn't want customer service? I give them a call, I get the woman on the phone, I describe my wife, she's been skiing a long time. We lived on the mountain, she's a really good skier. She's really aggressive, I'm thinking about these skis. And she says, well, let me check those skis because I want to see if bindings come on those skis. Mm. Now she's done. Because if you know anything about advanced skiers and advanced skis, 
they don't come with bindings attached. These are two separate issues unless you're talking about beginner skis. Mm -hmm. So now I'm on the phone with a brand I love and somebody's not an expert. Then I go to backcountry.com. Backcountry.com has a series of what they call gearheads. You can tell them the sports you're interested in, the level you're at, and they will assign a gearhead to you. But I don't do that. As much as I love great outdoors, it's Black Friday. You know what else I love? Saving money. Saving money. Thank you very much, right? So I buy a $150 jacket on Black Friday. I get it for $75. At that point, I don't, I don't think they're making any margin, right? They're getting my data in the CRM. Buy the jacket. Who cares? I'm not even thinking about it. Phone rings. I don't answer it. Pick up the voicemail later. Hey, it's Stephanie from Backcountry. Just wanted to introduce wow. myself. I'm here to work with you if you want anything. Well, that's pretty interesting. I got to get a pair of skis. Reach out to Stephanie. Best answer ever. Stephanie, describe us here. I don't know. Mm -hmm. This is great. Let me connect you to Eli. Eli knows. Eli's the man. We spent, <laughs> I started counting 15 different emails, six different phone calls, you name it. Eli is my pal. I don't know what Eli thinks of me. He's my bro now. We figured it out. He's doing a podcast in Vermont right now talking about this. You know, yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> I got this guy. Exactly. <laughs> the one call I got, this was it. So, dude, dude, one sale in 2007. Can I tell you? He did get me. He literally doubled the sale. And he made wow. triple it because my, my wife wanted to get a stand-up paddleboard. Wow. Pretty expensive thing, right? Jenna, I can't help you with this. I, I live in New York City. What am I going to tell you about a stand-up paddleboard? Hey, Eli. My wife has copied on this email. Jordan, who you mentioned earlier, he wanted to get some outdoor gear. Yeah. Hey, Eli, I've copied so my wife. There's your theory coming to life. Yeah. So that's empowerment. And there's an interesting thing, which is this. People are selfish. Not in a bad way. Not the old weird definition of, like, that's a selfish child. Like, no. You want what's best for you in life with the amount of money that you invest, with the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of love, the amount of resources you invest. You want the strongest ROI. So as much as I love this concept of opt outside, that doesn't enrich me as much as having the right pair of skis at the right price. Mm -hmm. So that country, instead of investing in this big social movement, they invested in incredible customer service. Wow. And by the way, they do have a hashtag called GoatWorthy. It doesn't have as many hashtags as opt outside, but it's a better hashtag to me. Goatworthy stands for grace of all time. So if you want to see a bunch of images of outdoor people with Utah powder in their face and other stuff, go to Goatworthy. They still have paid advertising. And I look at their ads and they're a lot less annoying than other ads because they're completely targeted. Every time wow. I see a backcountry digital ad, they got me. They know my psychographics. They know my behavior. They know the products I've looked at. They know right. everything about me. By the time the ad gets in my face, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of interested. So does Eli in that. pop up on an autoplay video? Uh, hey, you know what? <laughs> hey, Jeff, good morning. He's, he's on Jeff's phone right now. Eli just brought Jeff dressed up as a backpacker. I replaced Siri with Eli. He's been listening to all this. But technically speaking, Eli serves mostly the middle of the funnel in the mm -hmm. positioning. He pulls right. me down the funnel and converts. But then the data and the advertising keeps me down in that lower right. funnel because they're doing just that classic retargeting stuff that we've right. seen for over right. 10 years. They're just doing it a lot better because they've got better data because I'm more likely to spend more time with your site. Yeah. So, so very funny in the real world, something happened to me, which is not something that I do a lot, but my wife for Christmas got me a, a jacket at Joseph A. Bank. And I always thought, men's warehouse, Joseph A. Bank, what the hell is the difference? 
it so happens at this one Joseph A. Bank in Nanuet, New York, in the mall, I walked in and the jacket, the guy came over and was like, you know, let's figure out what else we can get. I thought he was trying to sell me other things. He's like, you should put this jacket back and look at something else. And it may not be as much money, but it's going to look better on you. Changed the jacket. I went, I was impressed with this guy. I went and bought more socks, did some other things. Come back two weeks later. Now, hopefully he was busy, you know, over those two weeks. I walked in, he looked up, he goes, where's your wife? Now, it's not like I'm an outstanding looking person, like someone would remember where I was, but somehow he had the wherewithal, not knowing who I, knowing who, one thing about me that was important. And what I want to do is tie this to some of the sports stuff that we talk about, Tom, in addition, although Patagonia and, and all the other outdoor stuff is the same business, but the user experience in sports is something that continues to improve, but only some people do it well. And whether you're winning or losing, it shouldn't be about how much you're going to spend on a ticket. It's about how is that overall experience. So, so, so when you go to games, or if you go to games or you watch games, are there teams that are kind of emulating what it is that you're talking about? And if they are, who are they? Well, that's a great question because I think the short answer is no. I mean, first of all, I'm a Jets fan, so they're not doing. Uh-oh. They're We've not had Glad on. Look out. <laughs> they're not doing a lot of things correctly. Jeff, Jeff and Gary world. Vaynerchuk are <laughs> yeah, hanging out, hoping they get better. I mean, I know. I mean, who's can they do things better though? Hell yeah. So if you worked for a team, what would you tell them to do better? What's one thing that would make sense? Well, if if I were to a team or a league, and yep. I think this advice works better at the league level, it's you have to open up the content in the format that people want in the money will follow, right? What social media has proven is that people want snackable content. Mm -hmm. And there's so many billions of people that will interact with that snackable content that you can actually make that advertising model work. Or what New York Times has proven is that there's going to be a combination of different subscription models and advertising. But for me, I got some discretionary income. New York Jets and the NFL, that's something I'm absolutely passionate about. So if you want to charge me a couple bucks to get content in a different format that's snackable, that gives me behind the scenes <laughs> access, mm -hmm. that I'm not getting interrupted literally every 12 seconds with an ad, I will pay for that. Right. That's fine. But as we know, and we discuss this frequently, the core product of the business, of the sports business, is the television broadcast, which is full of interruptive 30-second ads to the tune of, in an NFL game, 65 or 70 spots yes. of an interruptive model that you yourself were complaining about a few minutes ago before we started recording, and that increasingly I hear as a complaint from all the young people I know how they can't abide this, the fact that we're talking about three-hour and 15-minute games with 11 minutes of action and almost two hours of advertising, or not two hours, but an hour yeah, and not. a half or so yeah. of advertising. So, so how do you translate some of the principles of, of friction mm -hmm. and naked brand into the business whose core kind of premise in mm -hmm. the media side um, is, is so dependent on the old model. Yeah, and, and you can't be dependent upon people with discretionary income to just pay for that content because there's going to be different audience segments and I'm making it up. Maybe 20% will pay a couple hundred bucks to avoid ads. But the majority of people don't want to start shelling out money, right? right? You're going to have to come up with an ad model that's more streamlined, that works better with the content. So it's not just about less ads, but it's less reliant upon the three-hour game, right? 
as a football fan, and I've spent a ton of time, like ESPN was a client of mine for years. I've worked with every league, NFL, MLB, NBA, you name it. What we know is sports fans have an insatiable desire for content, mm -hmm. whether it's snackable, when it, meaning 20 seconds, semi-snackable, it's 60 to 90 to 300 seconds, right? A few minutes long, up to half an hour, an hour, you name it, we're going to digest it. My team won five games this year, and I'm still up on the blog <laughs> six times a day, which, by the way, they only update it once a day. The other five times, like, give me more content, right? It's crazy. <laughs> There's got to be a way of monetizing that. Because right now I get an article from Rich Samini in ESPN, and I get a three-hour game. And there's very little in between. And a lot of that comes down to the licenses and the contracts. They have to have more flexibility in the contract so that content can be delivered in different ways. I don't really want to sit around and watch a Bills game or a Dolphins game unless they're paying the Jets. But I need to know about these guys so they're both in the ASA East. Nobody's delivering on that. Where's the half an hour version of the AFC East? Where's the half an hour version of the Dolphins and the Bills? I don't have that. And that's just me. But we both know there's from behind the scenes to on the field, there's tons of content that can be delivered and isn't. And that's it's ironic. There is a bleacher report, I'll say, and some of the conversations I've had with one of my college classmates, Joey Amarella. He said one of the things that they are desperately trying to own and get is that type of content from the minute a player walks into the stadium to the minute of kickoff or what is going on at halftime, which is all probably OTT stuff that will come. But for some reason, the leagues and the teams are still very hesitant because they can't figure out how to monetize it and how to put it in snackable bites. Yet, it's already there. I mean, when you stand, like you talk about Gary Vee, when I've been on the sideline during pregame for the Jets, there are people walking around and Hugh Jackman is walking by. So why isn't pre-game camera following the celebrities. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think that is tremendously valuable to fans and hopefully will come somewhere down the road. Yeah, and, that's a good point, right? And make it more one-to-one. -one. Like Hugh Jackman, the guy coming through the tunnel in the backstories, people love that. Yep. No. I don't. You know what I love? I love Tony Romo analyzing how Tom Brady got fooled when the yeah. guy went in motion and he thought it was going to be zone and it turned out to be man-to-man. -man. I eat that stuff up, but that's a unique segment. So there's different strokes for different folks, but they're not delivering it. It's monolithic, and they're not going to change because they print money. But we're seeing a percentage impact, and now they're going to change because these guys are super smart. And that's where Twitch is going to come in, and that's where... ESPN has tested some things with the multicast, which can go to a totally different level. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, and we've talked about Twitch before, and that's kind of the way where things will be going, hopefully somewhere. Now, the question is, how do you monetize all that stuff? Going well, I mean, one example that we've mentioned on the podcast is, is the, uh, the early stages of VR packages being brought to the league. So NBA has had one now for a couple of years. <clears throat> Minnesota Vikings were the first team just recently to announce a VR package. I haven't seen it yet. Obviously, the install base of the uh, technology is still very small. But let me ask you this, Jeff. If, if the Jets offered you a really attractive VR package, would that be enough to, two things, number one, get you to buy a headset from Oculus or something like that and pay potentially a say monthly subscription to be a VR customer for a lot of stuff you wouldn't get otherwise? That's a great question. I think some people would be. 
I'd be interested in buying a one time and checking it out. Yeah, we'll give you a 30-day free trial. Well, yeah, well, I, think, I think what you would do is you would go to the guy who sold you the skis and ask him, <laughs> you, you got to email, email Eli and see if it's worth it. I, you know, To me, that's a huge question because there's a, I, I think there are a lot of fans like you. I think I, I count myself among them. I don't know what it's going to take, but it feels like with some of the emerging technologies, particularly those that we you know call immersive technologies, have the best chance of ultimately finding their place in the ecosystem as an upsell product in media. There's a whole mess of stuff that I would subscribe to without even thinking twice if the NFL and or ESPN and or the New York Jets provided it. I personally am... I think virtual reality is going to take a little bit more time for me personally. I think the form factor right now, the, the headset is pretty clunky, but all of that needs to be... The other thing they need to do, which we all know, so I'm wasting my breath a little bit here, is change the absolute worst components of the game, which is this. Parking. I was going to say losing, but that's a different story. Yeah, getting in and out of the stadium in New Jersey. Yes, parking sucks. I'm talking about on TV, which is... Touchdown gets scored, or maybe it didn't get scored. So now we're going to replay that thing. We're going to replay it to death. So now there's ads. Oh my God, and they did score. Extra point, more ads, kickoff, which by the way, nobody returns a kickoff anymore. More ads. Go stare at a wall for 20 minutes. Do you know how hard it is to stare at a wall for 20 minutes? It's impossible in this day and age. Go wait for coffee. We're, we all live work here in New York. If you have to wait for coffee more than 60 seconds, you are freaking out. The human brain can't deal with that. And then all of a sudden, the NFL, the one thing that we love more than anything in this world, we hit an absolute roadblock in the information superhighway, and we stood there for 20 minutes of watching flow over and over and over again. It works for us because the three of us, we are addicted to the NFL. We grew up on it. We love it. My son walks in the room, and he's like, no, yeah. dude, he's yeah. not interested. Yeah. He'll go over to YouTube and can go over the X Games. Mm-hmm. That was a classic rant. We got to pull that one it out. Was. For, and, uh, <laughs> you know, well, by the way, Jeff. the other commercial which I'm totally sick of is the Ronaldo Verizon commercial. Can we get rid of Ronaldo oh standing there in the underwear? They're, they're over, over that one. Over. Anyway. And, you, and you guys do this with, with your friends and your wife. I did it with my wife the other day. Have you seen this ad? Yeah, it's great. Who is he? I did that one. But my wife, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an ad guy, so she, now she's known to pay attention right. and she knows it's coming. Right. Who is it? Yeah. Who is it? Name the brand. Stop, Jeff. Just stop. Let's play. Stop. Name the category. Right. Couldn't name the category. Right. It's got to be insurance. It's an underwear commercial. Yeah. Well, this so, one was. I was going to say hotel. Yeah. This one was a Southwest Airlines. Pretty funny ad. Guys can get in the right. back seat of the car. He's, you know, he thinks he's getting an Uber. He's in the getaway car. It's a hilarious ad. I've seen it eight times. My wife's seen this eight times. Can't name the company. Can't, it's, it's a car company. No, it's a cable company. No, it's a mobile company. No, it's a technology company. No, Jenna, it's Southwest Airlines. It is? Yeah. Yeah. Only the three of us do this, by the way, but that's okay. No, so, no I, I, I think it's, I pretty, it's, it's way more common. This is a huge issue. Look, this has been proven in the research, too. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to have to get into the, the last couple of questions. We've got about five minutes left. So, first of all, thanks for all those insights on... These concepts are really fascinating. So you're at the forefront of something quite interesting. Um, but Jeff, how do you keep up? We ask everybody that comes into the podcast, how, how do you stay smart? What are you, uh, what are you I, reading? What are you following? Who are you listening I, I, to? I, I, I like that. I've got you fooled so far. I don't stay <laughs> smart. I try to... How do I pretend to be? Um, you know what? How do you I, keep up this pretense? I, I don't do a lot of social media. I try to, but I'm not that good. We've talked about right. it. You push me hard on Twitter, and yeah. then I, I come in fits and starts. I read a lot. 
I use get pocket, which means at any point with one click, I can save an article and read it later on mobile. Infinite so amount that's of a standalone application, right? It's like a plugin. Yeah, that, right. uh, it's an app that'll fit on your phone, but it's right. also a plugin that sits in your browser. So yeah. there's all these articles, you're on a conference call, you don't want to get distracted. One click and it's there and it's waiting for you. Read a lot of books, read a lot of articles, uh, I don't get caught up in the stuff that I think is a little frivolous. Like, you know, what agency is doing this? I don't care. That doesn't impact me. But if there's something that talks about the results, I like to spend a lot of time that spends what's the consumer behavior and what are the results? Because mm -hmm. later, when I'm faced with an opportunity that says we should build this platform XYZ, well, I've got pattern recognition because I've seen things similar to XYZ and I know whether or not they work. And I see people, they'll be up on like agency spy or something. And like, who got drunk at the holiday party? Like, dude, really? What are you doing with your time? Read the data, read the results. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow, that's good stuff. Are you a podcast listener? I am. Uh, what do you like? That's a great question. Um, what have I been hitting? Uh, I hit the daily, New York Times, great podcast, great lesson in what we've been talking about. New York Times is in just as much trouble as where the NFL seems to be going, right? A category that's facing some headwinds and they diversified their hull out of what they're doing. And I feel great when I yep. when I listen to Daily. I um, I listen to Mike and Trey uh, uh, Wingo every single morning. Um, in, Any uh, of the business in, podcasts like uh, I hit Tim Ferriss? Yeah, he's yeah. good. That's Tim Ferriss is great. Yeah. I love a little long form, you know, it's wow. Sunday night coming home from New England. Wife's like, mind if I sleep? Like, no, I don't. Right. Usually, and I'm Tim Ferriss will Ferris <laughs> Yeah, sometimes when you both go to sleep, we're like, let me just put Tim Ferriss. On, Jeez, those, on those episodes, they've gone for two hours. And I love this. I, I love you know, they're amazing. This. Yeah. He does a fantastic job. Um, and then our, our last, well, two more questions, but one more main one. Uh, any career advice for the young people listening? And the old ones. Yeah. Or mid-stage, mid-career folks. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you brought up Gary V. And, you know, he's a highly successful guy, so power to him. But he seems to be the voice of the next generation. And it's, it's hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah. Every time I turn it on, work like, 20 hours a day. Yeah, I'm like, dude, is this still the point? Like, you have 402 episodes and a million different memes and whatnot. It's all about hustle, which is fine advice, but it's not going to create a competitive advantage if every one of that generation is listening to this and hustling. Like, yeah, that's just a given, dude. I mean, my first job, going back earlier, when they didn't want to hire me, well, I was like, I'm going to set up one base rule. First one in, last one out every single day. That's just, that's just 101. Here's the advice that I would have. Everybody has unprecedented access to data and technology. Everybody has unprecedented access to speakers like Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss who are talking about hustle harder and working harder. The ultimate competitive advantage right now is creativity. Mm -hmm. And you need to feed your creativity. And the most powerful thing that we can all do is get away from our mobile devices. Because what happens is they trigger the limbic part of your brain, the limbic system, which is manages your fight or flight. And it turns off the prefrontal cortex, which is where all your great oh, ideas. getting past our pay grade job. Absolutely. <laughs> I ripped this off. From what was the time. questions? <laughs> Not bad, John. Very impressive. Right? I'm looking at my phone right now. I don't know what to do. <laughs> but here's the deal. I can't tell your listeners or you guys to use your mobile device less. It would be like, hey, cocaine addicts, store less cocaine. Like, Stop breathing. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. We're addicted. What I've learned is 
first thing in the morning, feed your creativity. Tom, you're a guitar player. I'm a guitar player. I absolutely suck. But when I get up in the morning, keep my mobile device the hell out of my bedroom. 90% of the listeners right now keep their mobile device inches from their head. 50% of them, first thing in the morning, they check their mobile device. One third of them, they look at their mobile, they look at social media before they even go to the bathroom, right? All of that triggers your limbic system. It turns off the alpha waves. Keith Richards, satisfaction, wrote first thing in the morning. Paul McCartney, yesterday, wrote first thing in the morning. He thought the song was gonna be scrambled eggs. The guy who figured out the periodic table of the elements, got stumped on this for months, Mendeley, finally figured out how the entire planet works together, first thing in the morning. You get something called alpha waves. You can feed your creativity throughout the day. You used to think your brain was your brain and your brain doesn't change. Turns out that's not true. It's like a muscle, that cheesy little expression. You can actually build different areas of your brain. You can physically make them bigger and stronger. You can feed your creativity and the best way to do it is first thing in the morning because later in the day, you will be addicted to your mobile device. So two things, it was Alexander Mendeleev who invented the periodic table. Thank you. Which, How about that for trivia? Okay, nice. Uh, and the second you got the thing last was, name, right? Yep. Yeah. The second thing I will say is um, one of the things that we've talked about showing up and listening, time management is the new thing, I think the most important thing for 2018 because as you've talked about, you can't shut off. You have to figure out how to better manage the time, that the 12 hours that you have during the day. And that's something that I think everybody can do a better job of. No, no, I'll just respond with, to, to finish this part of the conversation off and close is um, this point about creativity. I think there is a dearth of creative thinking in this world right now. And it's partly because people aren't opening their minds. They're not reading novels. They're not listening to new music. They're not reading poetry. They're not um, looking at paintings. They're just not doing the things that many of us grew up with that hopefully, I, I believe, really does help you broaden your mind and your thinking and open you to or put you in a position to be open to new ideas. On that note, uh, and, and, and uh, I thoughts. live near the Whitney Museum. I go to the Whitney. I don't really like art that much, and I sure as hell don't understand all this modern art. Every single time I go, I walked out of there with a new, mm -hmm. powerful, creative right. business thought right. because you're stretching your brain in different places. And also, it, 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 it helps build the muscle of, of critical thinking, which many would argue is the most critical skill right now, coupled yeah. with creativity. So when, you, when you're confronted with something new you don't understand, you can break it down and think critically about it and not be overwhelmed. But anyway, we can go on and on on that one. Um, so we'll wrap by just asking where everybody can find you and Questus on the internet. Uh, Instagram, at the Jeff Rosenblum. Uh, Twitter. The Jeff Rosenblum. Yes. The Ohio State University. <laughs> That's right. The University Fuck of Vermont. <laughs> and uh, at Twitter uh, is at JR Questus. The agency is Questus. That's at Questus.com. Great. And I will put in a quick final plug for Questus. I have the pleasure of doing some business with them. They're an awesome agency. So if anybody's looking for some help and figure out some of these challenges in the business right now. And the two books, one Jeff. more time, are? The book is Friction. Right. It's up on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, Friction, Passion yeah. Brands in the Age of Disruption. So right next to the Bible on the top 10 list <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Uh, Joe, fun episode. Always. Maurice, appreciate it. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to the latest episode. That was Jeff Rosenblum. Uh, a bon vivant in the digital marketing business and an author and documentarian and we thank him for his time. We'll see you around. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Take care everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cusp Show at Columbia University Sports